Hello people. Welcome to People's Stories. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host Priyanka Oja and I hope you enjoy the session. Hi everyone. Uh, a very very good morning from Germany. Today we have another very interesting person on studio with us. His name is Jonathan Colleton and he's working as a student affairs professional at the University of Toronto in Scarborough. I I hope I said the name correctly Jonathan. Yeah, you got it right. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. So, Jonathan, a very warm welcome to you. I'm super excited to have you on the episode. I am thrilled to be here. This is so exciting. <laughs> so, Jonathan, tell us something about yourself. Where were you born and brought up? What did you do? What are your hobbies? Anything? Sure. So, I was born in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, which is where I live now. And uh, I haven't lived here my whole life, though I did go away for a number of years to university and then work in that same town, about an hour from Toronto. So not really all that far. I am uh, from a, a family of four, two parents. I have a sister and uh, we are a somewhat tight-knit family. I've, I've got a very large extended family as well. I have uh something like 30-odd cousins, which... Wow. Uh, for, yeah, it's it's a lot. So um, it's nice to have that much family, though, I think, that I... it's There's always someone to talk to at family gatherings. Yeah. Um, playing a lot of video games, that became a big hobby of mine in the... in the... probably my teenage years, really. Yeah, in, in Toronto, I grew up as a big fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs. That was my hockey team. <laughs> I got to know this very, very recently that hockey is like super popular in Canada. And did you know that uh, the national game for India is hockey? Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. How yeah, did that I, happen? <laughs> exactly. I mean, generally people are like super excited about cricket in India. But yeah. actually hockey is our national game. <laughs> I am shocked by that. <laughs> I wow. can imagine. No kidding. I, now, we have a very large Indian population in Western Canada that's really big into hockey. And uh, to actually, we broadcast Saturday night hockey games in um, Punjabi and other languages. I don't know which other ones. But, wow. Uh, it's, and you yeah, said it's Punjabi so of, nicely. I mean, it was totally Indian accent. You know, That's all so nice. of my practice working with the student <laughs> groups at the university. Mm -hmm. And uh, what all parts of the world have you seen? So actually, traveling is a very big hobby of mine. I think I've been to about 25 countries. Wow. Uh, yeah. it's uh, I In the past, I've spent a lot of time traveling around Europe and uh, a little bit through parts of the Caribbean, um, just ease of access from Canada to get to those places. <laughs> I, I was going to add another nine countries to my list that uh, I had to cancel that trip when COVID hit. So... Uh, that was, I was really looking forward to that. My wife and I were going to take two months and go through Southeast Asia and uh, New Zealand and Australia. But, you know, maybe at some point down the future, we'll get to go there. Uh, just not yet, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And w what was the place that you liked the most? Can you like pick one country or one place? I absolutely can. I love Amsterdam. I uh, uh... It is such a unique city. I, I think... I might have this weird thing for cities with waterways because I love Venice as well. Uh, and maybe it's just because growing up in Toronto, there is a very large lake here, but 
you're either on the lakefront or you're not. There is not a lot of, uh, there are a number of rivers, but it's not the same as Amsterdam with all these canals, the architecture so different, all these houseboats, which I think are the coolest thing in the world that are along the canals. Um, it's just such a, it's just such a beautiful city that yeah. I could go back there over and over. I also absolutely love Amsterdam. It's really, really nice. And actually, so nice. Uh, I very recently found out that there is like a very, uh, there's a place very close to Amsterdam. So if you also want to get that beach experience, you can go to places near Amsterdam. So you can have that city experience as well as go to one of the beaches, just lie on the beach, sunbathe, you know, that's the... Oh. Yeah, that yeah it's, <laughs> you can do that. It as seems well. like one of those places, like, you know, people go and probably spend two or three days in Amsterdam, but don't go and see enough of the place surrounding see? there. Yes. So many people, I think people do that in every city they go to or every country they visit. And I'm guilty of it as well because, you know, you're limited by time and money. And so exactly. you want to see the major sites, right? And so you've yeah. got to really have an extended trip, I think, to see a lot of those extra activities. <laughs> So you're most welcome to Europe wherever you want to, and maybe we could show you a little, some part of Germany here. <laughs> yeah, I got to go see these hanging trains you were telling me about. Yes, yes, absolutely. They, they are like the attractions of Wuppertal. <laughs> yeah, they seem so interesting. I want to understand every single thing about your profession. So you are working as a student affairs professional at a very big university. What does it mean? What do you do exactly? It's a very loaded question uh, because student affairs is such a broad term. It means so many different things. But I think the way to first sum it up before I kind of go into my specific role is student affairs are the, the people, the people who work in student affairs are the ones that are helping students with their outside of the classroom experience. So when you go to university or college, you have classes, you have faculty that teach those classes, and then you have administrative staff that work for those faculties to help, you know, with registration and, and things like that. But on top of that, the university wants to provide supports for students who are attending there. And so things like academic advising, accessibility services, health and wellness, athletics and recreation, a residence staff programming, and my area in particular is student life. And so we work to help students gain skills outside the classroom and provide programming that really just helps them feel comfortable and confident that they are prepared for their experience at university, uh, not just when they first start, but all throughout. So we do things like orientation programming when they first arrive. And then over the course of the year, we run targeted programming to prepare them for whatever it is we think they're going through at that particular time. You know, we, we have research that shows that at certain points of the year, they're more likely to be stressed out because of exams. And, and at certain points of the year, they need to know about financial aid and about the writing center because there's very particular times where those are going to be important for them. And so we run that type of programming. Uh, and in my specific role, I actually work on the campus groups programming. So, uh, so I work at one of the three campuses of the University of Toronto and each campus has separate clubs and 220 of them at my campus representing athletic groups or cultural groups or study groups or social groups or charitable organizations. There are so many different types of groups. And my role is to help them help facilitate the experience that their club members are having at the university. So when they want to run an event on campus, I try and help them make sure that event is successful. I make sure that they've thought through 
things like event setup and uh, the overall logistics of ordering food or bringing in outside vendors for those events? Uh, have they thought about who's going to be doing what at the event? There's a lot of logistical support in that. And then the other half of that is from the university side, I kind of manage the risk and make sure that no group is going to end up on the front page of a major newspaper for doing something that makes the university look bad. That's part of my role. So it's it's looking at student development and, and helping with their experience and also working for the university to ensure the university reputation is intact. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it sounds uh, like a combination of multiple roles that you can have, um, sort of managing the PR as well as organizing events, you know, and doing that kind of research. But if you have to, let's say, so how I'm thinking is maybe you have like certain days when you have certain activities to perform, but on a general level, on a daily basis, what exactly would you do? Like, how does your workday look like? Sure. And and so that what that will be is kind of two very different lives, two very different lives from pre-COVID and post-COVID because the job (laughs) has changed so dramatically due to that. Uh, And so so from a pre-COVID level, day to day, the job would involve looking over club constitutions when a club applies for recognition, as there are certain university policies they need to follow. And so we want to make sure that their constitution is going to work for them. It's it's going to include parts that actually are useful to them. Uh, we don't want clubs to just be writing a bunch of rules that we know from our experience won't make sense. They're not going to work for them in a, in a practical sense. Um, and and also then ensuring that those rules or that that constitution falls within the rules the university has set for them. So, for example, they can use the university name but they can't put it on any t-shirts or anything like that because it's a copyrighted Uh, image. mm. Uh, So I look over the club constitutions and then I meet with a lot of students. The best part of my job is face-to-face interaction, having students come in and meet with me. And the, what I, one thing I really enjoy about it is the variety of things they will bring to the table. So sometimes there is conflict between club members and they just, They don't know how to solve it. And so they come to me for advice about that, and I'll help them work through that issue. Um, If they want to run a major event on campus, they'll come to me and we'll talk through what all the components of that event might look like. And I'll walk them through how to fill out a risk assessment form so that I can present it to our our university risk committee to get it approved. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll help them with things like funding applications. How are they going to actually pay for these events that they're going to run on campus? Okay. I'll help them with club elections. That's pretty targeted at specific points in the year, but eventually people graduate and you need new club leaders. And Mm -hmm. so how do you go about picking a club leader in a way that's fair and equitable for all involved where nobody feels like, well, they just picked their friends to run the club and I didn't get any say in the matter. And then there are some seasonal things where we have major conferences. So everybody knows TED and so the TED conference. Uh, We have a TEDx conference on our campus and I'm on the advisory board for them. So, you know, over the course of six or eight months, I work with the students who are planning out that conference um, and looking at all of the same things I just talked about for clubs, but yeah. in a very conference setting where instead of maybe 50 people at an event, there's going to be 300, right? And mm. their budget is $30,000 instead of a small budget for an event. Yeah. So there's a lot of things like that that happen throughout the year as well. But I did say post-COVID, it's pretty different. And we've had to adapt to find ways to run programming in an online 
space. And so finding ways to help those students facilitate their online events has become a big part of my job more recently. Mm-hmm. And and what that's meant is training workshops, uh, which is actually something I did before as well, but we've really expanded the the type of training we offer to club leaders. So mm-hmm. on top of on top of a regular club leader orientation, I've had to add in things like how to run an online event and a workshop that I actually just started calling how to be a club leader because I realized there's a gap between what students are experiencing online and what they would experience in person where they don't get to be there on campus and see another club leader manage an event and see the things they do. And Mm -hmm. I think a huge part of learning is seeing someone else do it and understanding what the impact is when they do that thing. And since they're missing that experience, we've had to adapt and try to offer things that will provide that experience for them. So workshops have been a big part of that extra training opportunities for clubs. uh, And, and funny enough, the way that I got into podcasting at all was through my job where we had to transition to offer more online programming. So Mm -hmm. I actually started up a podcast at work where we would interview students about their experience so that we could allow students to feel like they still had a connection to campus. Even if they weren't there, they could still, they could still listen to other students talk about their experience and gain some new insight into what it's like to be a student at the mm. university. So yeah, very different job from pre and, and post uh, pandemic. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, um, I mean, in, in just in terms of organizing conferences and events, it would have changed so much because of course people don't want to travel now, right? And they don't want to do in-person yeah. activities. Yeah, and and frankly, with some of the rules put in place, like we have to navigate federal regulations and then Mm. provincial regulations and then municipal regulations and then the university's regulations on top of that so (laughs) there are there are four levels and then if our own department has our own rules too right there's a lot of specific things to navigate and Mm. we've been very lucky that a lot of these online platforms have cropped up that have allowed us to to do some things that we couldn't do before but it's still it's definitely a dramatic shift yeah i mean one thing that i can directly connect with while you were talking is uh, the tedx conference and back when i was in university i also organized a tedx conference so i was like the one of the organizers uh, so i would have come to you <laughs> for advice I, if in yeah. case we had something there <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We have a whole board of, of uh, staff at the university representing all different departments who fund it. And I represent student life on that board. So yeah. it's uh, it's nice to see we share that experience. But it's it's so interesting, Jonathan. I mean, to me, it always looks like if you are in any kind of job, which is directly connected to being with, you know, students, directly connected to being with younger generation you you would feel younger on on yourself as I mean in yourself as well right because you're constantly surrounded by people who are full of energy full of new ideas and things like that so I'm sure your jobs would be like super exciting right so what's the most joyful thing about it what do you absolutely love about it yeah that's a great question I think the I mentioned that we have a lot of cultural groups on campus and so for me being able to learn about all these different cultures and seeing how excited these students get to run their own cultural events on our campus is so exciting. Um, and so if I can use an example, like I know that you're from India and I helped run a holy event on our campus and Garba and all of these events run by our oh. Indian Students Association. And I got to go to these events and people threw colored powder at me. And uh, <laughs> it was it was so, ex- you know, it's it's so different. Like I might not have that experience in my day-to-day life, 
And so I get to be part of all these amazing cultural events. And for me, the best part, to be honest, is trying all the amazing food because <laughs> being in Toronto, we have like every culture in the world here. And so there is so much good food to try. And all these students like pull at all the stops at their events because they want people to come out and nothing brings people out to an event like free food. So it's the thing I really miss the most right now over the last year is not being able to be at these events and see how excited the students get about them. <laughs> and and learn new things about different cultures. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I can totally imagine just being. I so miss being in being in touch with people in person. And I mean, as you would know, here in Germany, it's like a constant lockdown since the time Corona outbreak happened. And yeah, but we're in very... another lockdown right now in, in Ontario. We just went into another twenty eight day lockdown. Wow. Yeah, I mean, different world. As you as you already mentioned, it has changed a lot, right, from, from mm -hmm. how it was now. Uh, but uh, Jordan, again, back to your profession. So uh, from an educational qualification perspective, what what would you need to, you know, pursue if somebody wants to get into this area? What What should they do? I think the first thing is you just need a passion for it and the experience of having done some of these student roles in university. So... I I did not go to university thinking I was going to work in student affairs. I don't think anybody goes to university thinking they're going to work in student affairs. It's something that no one even knows exists until they get there. And they start getting involved in student organizations and student events and extracurriculars. And they, and they look around and they realize there are people full-time that get paid to run these activities. Uh, and that was my experience where I showed up and I was like, wait a minute. This guy has a history degree and he's running the student leadership center. And that was the degree that I was getting. And I thought, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do with my history degree, but, but that's an option, obviously. And I, I enjoy all of these extracurriculars and I, I think I excel at them. So I'm going to do as many of them as possible so that when I am done here at university, I can get a job running all of these things. I think most people get in in that way. And there has definitely been a shift, though, in the last number of years. And, and frankly, we might hit a point where to get into the field, you need further education. There are a number of certificate programs, I think, at colleges that people can do as well. But increasingly, I'm definitely seeing the Masters of Education as something that people are doing. Masters of Leadership degrees are something that a lot of people do. And that definitely can be a really good way to get into the field and expand um, and work your way up. I've also heard that a number of people who are deans of students, which is sort of, I would say, one of the jobs that's kind of at the top of the pyramid in student affairs, one of the, the highest roles you can reach, is a lot of those people actually have degrees in business or law because so much of what you end up dealing with at those highest levels are related to those two fields. Mm. And considering so, that you... Sorry, just just considering that no, you I, also have yeah. to deal with, let's say, legis a lot of legislative stuff when you are doing activities, I think it, it would also be important, right, from a skill set perspective. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, with what I was saying before, how broad the field really is, the educational background that you need to work in the, to work in student life or residence life compared to accessibility services or health and wellness has totally different staff. We have nurses on staff and doctors mm -hmm. and things like that. So it's 
that is a, a, a vastly different skill set required to get into that area. Yeah. Whereas the student life side of things, it is a hundred percent very gung ho people who loved university, love the experience they had, and want to help others have that same experience. So they get the experience, they get the education to get into the field. One thing also that was coming to my mind when you were talking about it is um, what are the challenges, typical challenges or issues that you could have uh, while working in this particular profession? I think some of the challenges are that things that I might see on a more regular basis don't maybe, maybe we, we don't react as strongly as some students might like in some cases. So conflict within clubs is one thing, for example. I know that <laughs> if somebody has a problem, I don't want to talk to them about it today. I'm going to say, go home, write down your issue, make notes about it. We'll meet tomorrow because usually overnight things calm down a little bit. And I, I know that there's a lot of emotion involved in a lot of the, the student conflict I see. Friendships and relationships can be a big part of that. And I know that people need to take a step back and come to me the, the next day with a fresh perspective. And I'm not saying their issue is not valid. I'm saying they might feel differently about it tomorrow because in the heat of the moment, people can be very upset about things. And I've been like that in my own life too. So mm -hmm. that is something that could be a challenge because I, I don't know how students see it, if they see it that yeah. same way or if they think I'm just delaying. Yeah. So would you say that being a people's person or having empathy is something that is like super important for this particular profession? Absolutely. Empathy is incredibly important. Understanding the concerns of, of students who come to you and, and in my particular role, that is important for sure. Um, because I've got to listen to what they say and figure out a solution for, for them, for the university, for anybody else involved that everybody's happy with in the end, if I can. Not everybody's going to be happy all the time, but that's part of the job is try and find the best possible solution. But I also think that you can do a lot of prep work to make sure that everyone's going to have a good experience before they ever get to a point where they have to bring issues forward to us. So mm -hmm. when I run these orientation sessions for them, I talk about conflict and I say, the moment you feel something might be an issue in your group, come to me about it. And I think that even saying that stops some of these issues from maybe being issues because students just know like, oh, there's a resource for us if yeah. something if something becomes an, an issue, right? Exactly. I mean, I think some, I think most of the times it, uh, the issue with people is not the issue, but just not being heard. <laughs> and if you just yeah. listen to them, it, it solves half the issue. So I think that's a very good advice. Yeah, you're totally right. I, in, in prep for this, you know, you sent me a few things. And one of the things I wrote down was patience and listening uh, as kind of values that I think are, are really important or characteristics that are important in the role. Because you're right, people just want to be heard. And frankly, when it comes to any level of or any type of the work I'm doing, if it's club training or, or conflict or events, which were the biggest part of my job previously, Listening to what people want so that you can find a solution to make that happen for them is the most important thing. You've got to have that willingness to to hear the whole story so yeah. that you can only cut out parts that aren't going to work 
while amplifying the parts that will work. Mm. I think this is also a very good, I mean, a very important life skill people should have, you know, in general, because you will have a lot of activities happening in your life. And if you're able to identify those things, which are like really important that you should focus on and those ones which are not so important, but you're unnecessarily worrying about them. If you can sort of incorporate this thing in your life as well, it just makes things so much easier, right? So Yeah, you're, you're totally right. Uh, so Jonathan, do you think that also the way people have, like basically at our time, like my time especially, uh, when I had to choose a profession, when I had to take that decision of what do I exactly want to do, there was not really a lot of option I had to choose from, frankly speaking. But nowadays it's it's just, so easily accessible and so widely available do you think it creates kind of confusion or do you think students are like a little more clear or because they have so many you know things to follow up from so i think i think there is different very different groups of students and so the university of toronto is a very prestigious academic institution and uh comes up a lot in our emails that we're the 20th ranked university in the world. So we have a lot of students who are attending U of T for a very specific program because they want a very specific career and that program will get them that career. Uh, Mm. So medical schools, pharmacy, business, law, things like that. We have some very particular programs and students going into that program, they know what they want to do. But Mm. there are, I'm sure, students who, like me, at some point in university, show up, take some classes and then go, "Uh uh-oh, I don't want to do that anymore. What now? And for them, it's, it probably is a challenge. Mm. Before, I would say it used to be family and friends were the biggest influence on anybody. And that does still exist with some students, but there is a lot of choice for them. And, And I think that a lot of students don't know by the time they graduate, what they want to do. And I think for that reason, a lot of students choose to go the route of graduate school and further education as mm. a way of sort of delaying making a choice. But mm. but at the same time, they're they're only furthering their qualifications. They're, it's not a bad thing to do that. Um, yeah. And I, I'm not sure where entirely that comes from, but... Maybe it's just the the freedom of how many careers exist now that didn't exist before. Uh, think about in the last 20 years mm-hmm. since the dot-com bubble burst, how many careers exist that didn't, right? And, and, so, and how many careers have been sweeped away, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, and and the, the younger generations are always the one pushing for more change comparatively yeah. to older mm-hmm. generations. And so, you know, how many careers don't exist now that will exist in five years. Um, things related to renewable energy and climate change mm-hmm. that that are going to exist, that, that the new students coming in in a year from now are going to have that option by the time they graduate, probably. Yeah. And, and so there's so much choice out there. And I also think that there is so many people online on things like Instagram and TikTok that are, that, that are showing people that they can maybe just be entrepreneurs and work for themselves in ways that they've never considered before. Exactly. I mean, would I have thought about being an influencer 10 years back? (laughs) No. No. But but now I think it's like a full-time job people are doing. And I mean, it feels like 
it you just want you should just want to do something and there are like million of ways for you to do it but of course having the right kind of guidance like if you get get the right kind of mentor or if you have somebody you can you know always refer to when you are a little confused that definitely would help i mean that definitely helps out and of course 100%. listening to yeah listening to people um what did they do what did they you know they will always tell you what did they do wrong or what what were those things that they could change if they could you know just listening to all those stuff is definitely going to put you at least give you the uh, right direction yeah yeah no you're totally right why why would you go and make mistakes that somebody else has already made if you can learn from them and avoid those mistakes in the first place exactly it's a and, great point and internet does that right so now it's it's so much more easier but one thing that also um, has been asked from me a lot of time is a lot of my friends back in india they are super interested in knowing about how education is like in canada and how is the work life or work life balance like in canada so can you talk a little about that like how do you see it yeah and so i think when we're talking about education and i'm sure you know post secondary education and and what that leads to we're looking specifically at white collar jobs and 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 that's what i can really speak to given my own experience and so there is i i believe if you look at some of the statistics out there canada has the highest percentage of post secondary educated adults in the world so the the most adults who have some sort of degree beyond high school uh, or diploma or certification there is a very maybe robust education system in Canada. Mm -hmm. it, it is uh, federally or provincially funded to some extent. It, that doesn't mean it's inexpensive, but it's certainly not not uh, not going to put you in in crippling debt. I would say, on average, I'm I'm mm -hmm. sure there are people on either end of the spectrum that it's you know they don't have to worry about the costs, and other people who really do have to worry about the costs. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, you get, if you get a if you get a degree and you make yourself employable by picking up on skill sets that'll be valuable to an employer in Canada, I think you're going to have, if not an easy time, at least you won't have to worry about being employed. Like mm -hmm. We have so many people who go and, and get educated and so many people these days who are going back later in life for education as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's... It is something we're seeing increasingly, and I think we're going to keep seeing it because as as we were talking about, certain careers will disappear and people are going to need a new skill set to thrive in something else. So mm -hmm. a lot of people are, are heading that route these days. And um, from a point of view of, um, let's say, getting a visa or, I don't know, student visa or how, how would you, like if somebody from a foreign country wants to come and study in Canada, is the process like simple or is it... Would you have an idea? So I know enough to know that if if you get into the university uh, and you can get a student visa, the opportunities past that are great. So mm -hmm. once you have a student visa and you're in Canada, now there are different types of visas, but a very common one that I know that students have allows them to stay in Canada and work for three years after getting their degree or diploma. It might be different at the college level versus university level, but at the university level, there's one where 
three years. Students can stick around and work in Canada. And a lot of people do that as a pathway to immigration. So Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, a ton of students at my campus, actually. Our our incoming class last year was, I think, 44% international students. We have a very, very large... Yeah, it's it's huge, the international population at my campus. Um, The breakdown, I think, is roughly... 80% of international students at at U of T are from China. And then at the college level, it's 100% different. It's 80% are from India, actually. Um, And so there the different visas, you know, I can't really provide specifics Mm -hmm. on that. What I can say, though, is that when students do arrive at the university, and even before that, we actually have immigration advisors on staff who advise on all of these things. They are they have a specific certification they need to work in that role, and they can help students with work visas, uh, with immigration paperwork, all that kind of stuff. So there is supports in place once you get the initial visa, but unfortunately, I don't know the process mm-hmm. to get that visa. No, that's totally fine. I mean, this information is also super useful. Um, and from a work-life perspective, I'm assuming Canada is also 40 hours a week kind of um, structure, or do you have? Yeah, and, and it's going to vary job to job, but I can tell you, like, my role is 36.25 hours a week, which is, <laughs> and, that, and then we don't get paid for lunch. So we, have, you know, there's... <laughs> 41 hours or something like that that we're at work uh, on a typical week. So pretty much what you're talking about. Um, there are, you know, vacation days are a thing in Canada. They're not as good as in Europe from what I hear, but uh, <laughs> nobody's starting with six weeks in any job here that I'm aware of. I, there are probably some, but, um, you know, vacation days exist, personal days. Uh, increasingly, we're starting to see things like flex days for people who have elderly parents because we have such an aging population as many places do Mm -hmm. right now with baby boomers hitting a certain age um or or right now with people who have kids who are trying to work from home it's you know jobs are are being flexible on that um yeah obviously I, i can't speak to every industry but from the many of the people i know are seeing flexibility from their employers about that kind of thing Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, um, this is a, like a really useful information because a lot of people actually want to also, you know, explore possibilities in other countries. And Canada is definitely one of the yeah. destination countries to, you know, uh, pursue your further education or even your bachelor's for that matter. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so um, now I would also want to take your advice from your own podcast because I know that you are doing your amazing podcast which is called Cario Crossroads and you also talk to people and it's on a very specific point where you want to talk about their cardio choices and how they changed it and you know how how they deal with it so what advice would you want to give from there yeah so I I started that podcast with the intention of sort of feeling more meaningful in the work that I was doing, working with students. I wanted to provide them with an extra way to understand that, you know, if you don't get into medical school when you apply and and now you're not going to be a doctor, that's okay. Like you will, there is another path for you. And and I think that's really what I've come to learn over the course of doing this podcast. And and part of it is for myself to learn that if one day student affairs isn't the thing for me anymore, that's okay. I can take the skills I've learned here and, and move them into something else. And mm-hmm. so I try and talk to people from different, different places in their life, from different career paths. 
and understand what motivated them to leave one thing and go to something else. Mm -hmm. And, and what I've, what I have learned is that anything is a valid reason. Like you don't have to fit some sort of mold about why you should stay or shouldn't or should go somewhere else. Mm. For some people, their family is critical and they will take or not take a job based on what it's going to mean about their family having to move. And for other people, if they have no relationship currently, they are free to move anywhere they want for work. And they, you know, if that's an option for you, take that opportunity because that's not going to exist forever. For other people, it's faith that makes them change from one career to another. And so the... The only advice I can really offer is do what matters to you and and don't worry about what other people are going to think. I'm not saying don't get their feedback on possible career shifts, but if something matters to you and you want to switch to something else, even if it might not make sense to everybody else, who cares? Yeah. No, I- do it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it should make sense to you. So I know, for example, a friend, um, she was absolutely not liking her job, like absolutely hating it. And um, but she was constantly sticking to it, like every single day, trying to be a part of that organization, because that sort of gave her, you know, a, a sense of achievement. It's like, when when somebody asks, okay, where are you working? She can tell that, okay, I'm working with this huge multinational company. But then eventually she um, changed her job. And that was only because she wanted that mental peace. And I mean, I've, I felt like, okay, this thing was so important to her to, um, to be able to prove that I'm doing the right thing, <laughs> that she had to undergo such, such, um difficult time so you basically what i want to say is you don't have to go through that entire um experience if you are absolutely not liking it and the reason could be as simple as i don't feel happy or i don't feel motivated to work in this job that's a good enough reason yeah that's a complete sentence i'm not happy here that's all you that's all that you know you don't i i would say it's imp- what is valuable in helping you get to the next place is identifying why you're not happy so you can make sure the next thing will be a better fit for you. Hmm. But, but you know, just being not happy is a good enough reason to start looking somewhere else. Hmm. If you look at yourself from a third person perspective, how would you see yourself? Ooh, interesting. Okay. So I, you know, I think I... I'm someone who has endeavored to make the best life possible for me and the people around me. And it's not that I don't want to come across as selfish, but I really want, like, I want to bring people around me up with me if I can. And so if I, you know, I I joke with my wife all the time that if I'm ever successful with this podcast, then like I am going to, it's going to be great. We can like have all these parties and have our friends over and, and just pay for things because I just want the people around me to enjoy their life in the same way that I want to enjoy my life. Um, and and at the same time, there is a recognition for me that, uh, you know, I am in one of the more privileged population groups of the world. I'm a, a 31-year-old straight white male. And, and that means that I've, well, I mean, privileged is the word for it, right? I don't know what else to to describe it as. And so I've got to be somebody who tries to, maybe that's why I want to 
try and lift up those around me because I recognize how easy life has been for me compared to some other people. And I should do what I can to try and make life better for those who don't have the same advantages I have. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I would hope that if as a third person perspective, people actually, people see that. Um, I, I think I'm someone who was raised by two very strong parental figures. Uh, I, I try to, to be a good person in the way that they taught me to be a good person. I have goals and dreams for myself and I, I have to actively work towards those goals and dreams. I think that, you know, a pipe dream is only a pipe dream if you're not working towards it. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, that, that quote, like shoot for the moon and you'll land among the stars is super corny, but so accurate. I think that, (laughs) you know, if, if you just go for what you want, like what's the worst that can happen? You would get rejected. Who cares? Like then at least you'll know that you tried and, and that's become a big part of my philosophy over the last, I don't know, couple years, maybe less. I, when I really started exploring where I want to go long-term with my life, questions came up about my career and about what do I really value and what do I want? And, and that's sort of the path I've settled on is like, try things because, you know, there is, there is no, there is failure that can be crippling, but there is success that can far surpass whatever crippling failure you might see. So mm. that is, I think who I am at this moment in my life. And I recognize that that's not who I'll be forever. And that's not who I was. People change over time. So I'm just going to take advantage of that motivation while I have it. It's, it totally sounds like a very, very, um, in a nice position to be in at, the, at this point of time. Then I mean, definitely you need that kind of energy and that kind of reasoning that, okay, if if you want to do something, just try it. And what, what maximum can, what can go wrong? Just, uh, I mean. Yeah. Would you like to change anything about yourself? Like, do you see anything that you would want to work on maybe or um, change? Yeah, I mean, I would like to be a harder worker at things that I didn't care about as much. You know, there there are things that adults have to do that we don't want to do, but we (laughs) have to do them. Uh, Parts of your job, parts of just being an adult. Like, I also think that I can sort of over if I, I can compensate for those deficiencies in other areas. So um at a certain point I, I think there's always room for growth, but you also have to accept there you are know, parts of you that that aren't going to be as easy to grow as others. And so I focus on the areas I think I can grow in. Yeah. And what you're saying is totally making sense to me because it's it's always like you have a certain kind of expectation from yourself, right? You have to do a thousand other things. You're living a life. You are you. You know you're just you're just living so so many. You're living with so many things. Uh, we think like okay, I have to get up in the morning. I have to do this, 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 and then I have to sleep. But eventually, you cannot do. I mean, you can only do so much, right? You can only yeah. do so much, and creating those expectations which you can meet is something which is which you should like. Let's just spend a little more time on because it's important. Um, otherwise, you can just caught, get caught up in that expectation, reality check stuff. And, you know, yeah. that could be a little um, annoying. It happens to me as well. I mean, I'm, 
I don't know, I expect thousand things from me to happen a particular day. And eventually at, at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, did I do everything? One more thing that I can um, I can point out is, um, I'm not sure which book this was from, but it said that you should set up like a milestone for each day. And if you do that thing that day, then basically that day was was a successful day, so to say. So maybe you can try doing that mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> I'm going to have to implement that in my life for sure. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for spending your, giving your time, for talking about stuff that's really, really important. I'm sure a lot of people are going to, you know, at least take away a few things from this episode, episode for sure. So thank you for your time and have a very nice day and week ahead. Oh, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I'm, uh, I'm really glad I got to do this. Thank you so much, you guys, for tuning into this podcast, People's Stories. If you are aware of somebody who has inspired you and would want me to share their stories with all of you guys, then please feel free to connect with me. My name is Priyanka Ota, and you can find me by the same name on LinkedIn. On Instagram, my account name is People's Stories Pod. I'm going to come with another exciting episode, so stay tuned and... Stay happy, stay healthy.